Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 5, it says, One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In the writing of the Ephesian letter, Paul knew that there was going to be problems. Our Lord knew that there was going to be problems that men would be able to or would distort the doctrine. As you look through the Bible, you see that doctrine, as we have pointed out many times before, is used in the singular sense. The only time that you will see doctrines with an S, meaning plural, would be in the event of where men have created another belief other than the one and true and only doctrine, the gospel. I want to start a few series of lessons today. I've entitled it Comfort Doctrines. And a doctrine is a belief, but there's only one true belief. As our scripture was said, just or read just a moment ago, in Matthew 7 there, says, not everyone, listen closely, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, that's plain. Not everyone that says or claims or professes to be a Christian will enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to explain to those that will. He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. But he goes on to say, he says, many will profess, many will say, I'm a Christian. Many will, will, will claim the name. Many will, will, will take part of the doctrine, will take part of it and claim Christianity. And in doing that, they will make their claim in the day of judgment. Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name have we not done a lot of good things? As was pointed out in our Bible study this morning, Brother Jimmy brought out, he says, you, can, you can't just fill up a whole bucket full of doing a lot of good and expect to go to heaven. That's not how it works. But our Lord knew there would be problems. And he says, he shows you right here in verse 23 the outcome of those problems. He says, then I'll profess unto them those who claim to be Christians, those who have ignored the specifics of my law, those who were just good people, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So today I want us to come face to face to where we stand before God. And in these few lessons that we're going to have in this study, 
It is based upon the false security. Now listen closely. The false security that so many have about their faith. Now this morning, I want us to establish that God wants us to be comfortable with our salvation. And He wants us to live with hope and assurance. And His Word is intended to be something that will give us comfort as we face trials and difficulties in this life. But that hope has to be realistic. And that means it must be based upon what His Word actually says, not what I want it to say, or not what uh, some man has said. In the religious world today, I'm very fearful, or I'm fearful, that the biblical idea of our comfort in Christ has been so watered down by so many through teachings which dis disregard sinful conduct. And not only does it disregard that, it disregards the consequences of that conduct. Far too many religious people, even in the churches of Christ, believe they are fine even though they have chosen not to deal with their sin. We sometimes feel that if we can take and we can push it back and suppress it, that we don't have to deal with it, that it's really not there. And while ultimately they're accountable for their own souls and will stand before God, there is much to blame to be had in our theological community, if you will. There's a lot to be blamed in some of the preachers who are preaching these comfort doctrines. There is blame to be had for elderships who are allowing these comfort doctrines to be filtrated in their pulpits. You see, there are a number of popular doctrines that give us false sense of spiritual hope. And we want to examine some of those. Now as we begin this study, I want us to understand that I am not seeking to discourage anyone or lessen our hope, nor am I minimizing the grace and the mercy of God in this primary source of our salvation. Because I want to say this morning that if it were not for the grace of God, our faith and our obedience would be meaningless. But some have taken the grace and the mercy of God and made it a mockery to God. In fact, my desire this morning is that our hope will be increased as we live with a greater surety that we are pleasing in His sight because we are doing what He has instructed us to do with complete reverence. I guess in other words we could say, I don't want us to think that in any way that we can get away with sin that we refuse to deal with. In this study, as I laid out for you this morning, we're going to look at these things. True comfort is in Christ. God wants us to be comforted, and such needs to be our goal. The bulk of this study will be on these topics. 
there is no hell. Once saved, always saved. Salvation by works. That being the belief that our actions can earn us salvation as long as our good works outweigh our evil works. And we'll be fine. Such was the attitude of Israel and the Pharisees, if you remember. The other topic, God overlooks sin of ignorance and weaknesses. And He will accept us as long as we're sincere. Another lesson will be, we are all going to heaven, just different paths. Or as long as you believe in God, you're fine. Or unity in diversity is our world and our country is promoting these very days. And we could go on and on and on. Cheap grace will be another topic. A watered down religion including watered-down authority to question the integrity of the Bible and its teachings. And the last topic of this series, how can I know that I am saved? What steps can I take to ensure that I am ready to stand before God? But our goal today is to understand the whole thought, comfort. What is comfort? Maybe to give strength or hope. To ease the grief of trouble of maybe. The most prevalent word used in the New Testament translated comfort. A word that primarily means to call to one side. It's a word that really has multiple meanings. And it's translated almost even as exhort or beg. And comfort as well as few other words. And when we use this word somewhat parallel to our English definition that we just read just above, we might even say to speak to someone in a friendly way. See, that's what we have in mind that indicates the idea of reassurance and consolation. What does the Bible say about comfort? Now, through this series, I need you to get your Bibles out. There's no PowerPoint behind me. I need you to dig in. I need you to reference some of this stuff so that we have a good understanding of where these things are. Our God is a God of comfort. Romans 15 and verse 5. Paul writes here and he describes him as the God of patience and comfort. A God of patience and comfort. Talked about patience this morning. Perseverance. Long-suffering. Being understanding and being a comfort. That's our God. And as you move forward in your Bible in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, it calls our God the Father of mercies. And the God of all comfort. And as you move on forward, 2 Thessalonians 6, or chapter 2 rather, verse 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and our Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace 
Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work or good word and work. Our God is a God of comfort. And as you back up into your back up in your Bible in the book of John, John chapter 14, in 16, uh, verse, uh, verse 16. And even in the chapters 15 and uh, just in that whole little area, the first those two chapters, 14 and 15, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper, comfort, the comforter, if you will. A number of passages in our Bibles describe God as a caring God. As you go back in your Bible in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, it calls our God a God of hope and patience, mercy and grace. What about that? What about that God of hope and patience and mercy and grace? We could say this morning concerning that passage in 1 Peter 5, he is truly concerned about us. And God wants what is best for us. His message is ultimately a one of hope and forgiveness and salvation. You know the scripture says that He has given us all things that pertain to life and what? Godliness. He's our God of victory and He has defeated the enemy and He is in full control. And such thoughts as that should be a great comfort and a consolation to us as we face so many problems in this world who, who, in this world who fall short of His image and character. So what about this comfort? So our God is of comfort. And you know what? It's promised. In some sense, the Christian life brings about true comfort, even as we face difficulties or whatever might come our way. I'm comforted when I read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As I read and study the, 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 the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we find that Abraham is explaining, if you remember, to the rich man. He says, but now Abraham said unto him, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But what does he say? But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. You see, the ultimate comfort we anticipate is that found in the eternal rest of heaven. Another scripture you might want to know, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 6, says that God comforts the downcast. Our God will be patient and that if we are patient, if we'll be patient with Him and turn to Him in prayer, 
The peace of God which passeth all understanding will guard your minds and your hearts through Christ Jesus. You see, but we have, we have a part to do, doesn't it? So not only about this comfort, that God is a comfort, it's promised. It can, uh, it's promised to us. It can be had. You know one thing this morning, we live in a chaotic world, don't we? It's just chaos. For far too many, there are very little, there's very little true comfort in this life. For the most part in this world, there is misery. There's disappointment, there's failures, there's trouble, which drive away that sense of comfort that we all crave. For the one who lives without any hope beyond this life, such things in this life can be overwhelming and even defeating. But let me say this morning, the Christian, even in the face of difficulties, has a better perspective or should have a better perspective about the life which extends beyond this realm. Colossians 3 and verses 1 and 2. Therefore he can take great comfort even in the face of the same trials. Misery, disappointments, failures that others face gives us that hope. The churches in the New Testament in Acts 9 we read how the, the churches there throughout of all Judea and Galilee and even Samaria, they had peace and were edified. Why? Because they were walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. So not only can it be had, it's found in His Word. You say, well, I've heard people talk about comfort in God's Word. Romans 15 and verses 4 and 5 says to us, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. You know the word, verse very well, don't you? That we, through the patience and comfort of what? The Scriptures might have what? Misery? Tribulation? No. That through the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. His message this morning to us is a message of hope and optimism. And let me say this on the tail end of that. That does not mean that everything will be without troubles or sorrows. We know better. But the overall message and the over-end result is truly comforting to us. So it can be had. It's found in God. It's found in His Word. We can comfort one another. You know, one of the blessings that we have as a Christian is fellowship with our brethren. When we are what we ought to be, we will be there one for another. We will lift each other up in difficult times. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6 speaks of the Father of mercies 
a God of all comfort who comforts us in all tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. First Thessalonians 4 and 18. Paul ends that. He says, comfort each other with these words. Talking about the dead in Christ shall rise. We're to edify one another. Pick us up. So my point this morning in this lesson is to show that comfort is something that God wants us to have as his children. But in his word, he has provided for us all things necessary to be comforted, even in the difficulties in this world. His word gives us comfort as he does his people. We ought to pursue that comfort and peace that he offers. But now here, this is where it lies. This is where it all culminates together. If we have that comfort and peace that he offers us, we need to understand that it's only found if we are true to him and his word. We, want, we, we often say, well, why this, why that, why, 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 why this? Are we true to his word? And we need to understand this morning that we cannot achieve godly comfort while refusing to submit to his will. Some of you may have seen the post. I don't barely post stuff on social media, but the other day I found one that was pretty good. Had an old grandma... She said, Grandma used to say, you can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent. You know, my grandmother said that in so many words. <laughs> you can't live with the devil and expect everything to be grand and glorious and, and everything be going great for you. Because sin brings about shame, discomfort. Sin brings about embarrassment. Well, it should. In today's world in which we live, a lot of sin does not bring about embarrassment anymore. Unfortunately. Used to, it was an embarrassment when things happened in our lives and it was revealed publicly. But now we receive it and we promote it. And we encourage it. What about false comfort this morning in the last few minutes that we have? We've talked about the comfort part of this, and we've got, a, we've got this series kicked off. God is, has got a comfort, but to have that confident peace, we've got to be true to his word. What about false comfort? The world cannot offer this comfort. In a world that is continually seeking to forget about God and His message of hope, we find desperation and hopelessness. 
There is a seeking for true and lasting comfort, but it cannot be found because people refuse to turn to God. Psalm 69 and verse 20, reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness and I look for someone to take pity, the scripture says, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none. False comfort. There are many worldly souls that seek for comfort, but they're unwilling to repent. Did you hear that? A lot of people who are worldly, who are living in sin, and they know they're living in sin. They want to seek comfort, but they're unwilling to repent. They want the blessings of God. Now, that's just how it falls. In the world in which we live, people want the blessings of God, but they don't want to give up those passing pleasures of sin. Moses spoke about that in Hebrews 11, 24, and 26, didn't he? 2 Timothy 3, 15, having a form of godliness but denying its power. We could go on and on with that. People want the blessings. That goes back to that statement a while ago. Can't shack up with the devil and expect God to bless you. You see, these type of folks are unwilling to comply with his teachings. Tragically, a lot of that falls into the preaching that we get. Tragically, there are false teachers. Now, notice this as we're getting ready to close. Tragically, and I mean that with the most humbling way tragically there are false teachers who will tickle their ears and lull them into a sense of false comfort by being told that God will accept them in their unrepented sinful condition often people will go from congregation to congregation to congregation to find a preacher that will say you're okay. If one preacher tells them, no, this is what the scripture says, they'll go to another. <coughs> Whatever the situation is, they will go till they find someone to say, oh, you're okay. That's tragic. That person is, that preacher or who had elder or whoever will answer for that one day. Paul warned Timothy of such behavior when he told him what to preach. You know it, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Yeah. Peter warned us in chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Notice what he says. He says to us, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring into destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow 
their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and the destruction does not slumber. Peter warns us. At times they may say you ought to repent, but they teach some doctrine which removes accountability. You see, that's a problem in our society, even in the pulpits. They may say and preach, oh, repentance, repentance, confess, confess, repent, repent, and then teach some way of belief or doctrine that removes accountability if you refuse to change, which we call comfort doctrines, And you see, that's what we want to establish in this series. Those comfort doctrines, the false sense of security. We've seen it in the Old Testament. Israel had a problem with that. They were seeking prophets who would preach words of comfort when there was no comfort. The prophets were condemned for preaching peace when there was no peace. Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke of that. What's the danger of these comfort doctrines? Real quickly before we close. The danger of these doctrines that we're going to study in this series is they promote ignorance. One might say, why put forth great effort to learn the truth? when there are no real consequences to one's conduct. Not only can they promote ignorance, they can lead to indifference. Why be zealous for good works if there's no consequence for living in sin? For example, Jehovah's Witness, believe there is no hell. While they are an evangelical religion, if you reject the truth, they find comfort concerning you because there's no eternal consequences. Comfort doctrines lead to corruption. It leads to disunity or division in the church. First Corinthians 1.10 says, Let there be no divisions among you. They lead to souls being lost. And that brings us back to the first passage we read this morning in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. And that's just one of many passages that tells us that following Jesus involves obedience. And we need to note this morning the consequence of those, the consequence of those who fail to obey, they will be told to depart. They will be told to depart. So in the coming weeks, we're going to examine some comfort doctrines. We will see the dangers and the consequences of espousing those doctrines, and we'll see why these teachings are an error. We don't want to belittle or discourage anyone's hope, but rather we hope that even this morning, to encourage us to take seriously our commitment to put God first. 
I don't believe that God is just sitting in heaven waiting for us to mess up. I don't believe that. So that he can just zap us to hell. But I do this morning have a great concern. I have a great concern for some of our brethren that we seek to mentalize sin to any degree. James 2 and verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, one point, he is guilty of all. Think about that. Although we may have become Christians and we've been baptized and we have lived for the Lord and we're good people, but maybe we've, we've sinned in some way. Maybe by our speech, conduct, a lack of doing something. And we have fallen short. He says, you may know the whole law and keep it, but if you're guilty of one point, of one thing, you know what that tells me? Is that one sin can keep you out of heaven. One sin. Unrepented of. This morning, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to come to the Lord and be baptized for remission of your sins. Maybe you've been misled by these comfort doctrines that tickle your ears and say, oh, just be a good person, call upon the name of the Lord, accept Him as your personal Savior. Maybe you've been told that and misled. There's a whole lot more to it than realizing Jesus is the Son of God. A whole lot more. And we have to live up to that. We should search that and want to do that. Whatever your need may be this morning, please come. Together we stand as we sing.